1: Find love at first Drive and start shopping now
2: at carmax.com. Carmax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the college football Inquirer. With Dan Wetzel. Punish Michigan if
1: that's uh, if, at Punish who doesn't play a game. Punish the non-conference duck. Michigan banked on the idea that they could just go undefeated, beat and either beat Ohio State,
0: and that would be enough. Si's Ross Gellinger. Dan. Uh, I'm telling you, man. These, these us Gulf Coast people, man. We, if it gets drops below below sixty, man. We, with that's no fun. We, we bundle up, man.
2: And Si's Pat Forty. Do not make a hire based on who loves Auburn. I'm sitting here in Louisville watching Kenny Payne coach the University of Louisville in basketball right now. He was a nostalgia hire who loves Louisville. They're 0-2, losing to Bellarmine and Wright State. Here's Pat, Russ, and Dan.
1: Hi, welcome to the pod, and uh, we're going to start with an awful situation involving the University of Virginia. Kind of pride ourselves on this podcast in uh, trying to be an hour for people to avoid real news and uh, stories like this, but there is no avoiding this. Three Virginia football players uh, were murdered on Sunday night. Devin Chandler, wide receiver from Virginia Beach. Deshaun Perry, a linebacker from Miami. Lavelle Davis, a wide receiver from South Carolina. Mike Hollins, a uh, running back from Baton Rouge, is in the uh, hospital and dealing with uh, a ventilator, I believe, and uh, dealing with surgeries. Uh, there's another student at Virginia who was injured, apparently not a, uh, a football athlete. I'm not even going to name the, the, uh, the, the shooter. If he was looking for attention, he can get it somewhere other than here. Former walk-on on the program. And uh, horrific story. They were coming back from a, a play. They had gone to uh, the theater t- in Washington, D.C. to see a play, apparently, according to the... I watched the President's News Conference part of a class returned on the bus and, um, this guy, uh, started shooting. I don't, I mean, horrific, whether they're football players or not horrific. I think anybody can, you know, these kids were, you know, hailed all over campus for, for their, just everything, personality, their, their academics, their internet, intellectual curiosity, the way they carried themselves and represented themselves. I just can't, you know, uh, you just don't even want to think about the horrors their families are going through today and every freaking day forward. Uh, it never will fade for them and how senseless this is. So our, you know, our thoughts are obviously with Virginia and their families in particular, Ross, you were there. You wrote two stories, including one from the scene in Charlottesville, I thought was uh, absolutely exceptional, moving, incredible. What take us to, uh, Take us to Charlottesville and take us to the lawn on, uh, and the grounds, as they call it there. But the lawn is this incredible area in the middle of campus that, like, I think Thomas Jefferson laid out. It's one of the most beautiful places in all of, on any campus, anywhere in America, is the lawn at Virginia. And last night, uh, was an incredible scene. So what was that like, Ross?
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite moving. You know, I got here around four. Four o'clock in the afternoon yesterday, drove in from DC, and uh, uh, it was it was kind of you know if you were just coming into the city at first you wouldn't think anything is happening you know you, you had people jogging and people on scooters and people walking about and tra- a little bit of traffic here and there people were in restaurants and uh, and then you I started to move through and onto campus. And then um, you know you started to to see the banners uh, hung from the fraternity and sorority homes with the jersey numbers and the names of the those who died. And and then I I, I uh, spoke to some fraternity members who were their house is about a couple hundred yards from where the shooting happened. They heard the gunshots actually. They locked themselves, barricaded themselves into their into the upper floor of the fraternity house. And then I moved over to a, uh, a prayer service that happened that had more than 250, 300 people at. That was around 530. And then I walked over to this football stadium um, before the big visual on the lawn. And uh, gosh, there were already, you know, I guess two or 300 bouquets of flowers and notes, you know, handwritten notes. You know, one of the, I guess it was a a pretty close friend, obviously, of um, one of those who died. And uh, he had written – they must have went to high school together. And he had written on his high school track shirt. He had a a high school track shirt, and the the friend must have written in black marker on there, like a message to him, like a personalized message to him, and left the shirt there with some flowers. And then from there, I walked with thousands of students. It was – something that I have never witnessed before in my life. Thousands and thousands of students, and I was like walking with them from the dorms and the outside of campus, the exterior kind of fringes of campus, toward the center of campus to the lawn, as you talked about off the top. And, you know, they were talking like normal students would. You know, some of them were even messing around a little bit. And then as they approached the lawn, everybody grew quiet and it was stunning. I walked up upon the lawn and there were already, I'd say, three, two or 3,000 students sitting on the grassy area or standing around the, the outside of it on the concrete. And by the end of it, I, I mean, I, I'm just estimating there are four or 5,000 students there. It, it was just stunning. Uh, and they just sat in silence for about 45 minutes and um, held up candles, held up their phone lights. At one point in unison, they all rose together just everything's still in silence you know there was silence for 45 minutes and then one one an unidentified football player stepped forward because the football players were sitting on the steps of one of the old halls there and the students were basically just staring toward them they were sitting staring toward them and a football player finally like emerged and spoke and uh, it was just like a short prayer and then all the students just like you see a receiving line for a funeral came up and put their candles or lights or whatever on the steps in front of the football players. Uh, and there was another, about another hour went by. And toward the end, you know, silence was kind of replaced by some weeping and some wailing from the football players. But, you know, I've it, it, never seen anything like it. It was just an incredible show of support in uh, solidarity from the student body to their football team. And the pictures alone uh. on your on your
1: Twitter are incredible. And I mean, that's what the, what an iPhone,
2: I mean, these look like, like, yeah, I mean, that was unbelievable. And that, I, I, I think you, you brought it home to a lot of people. What a, a, you know, devastated campus looks like just with those photos and then the words obviously as well. But, you know, I just, the one of those things that you, you, you hope, young people never have to go through, but it seems like it's more uh, commonplace than we would ever like to even worry about when you send your kids away to college or you take them to school in the morning or whatever the case may be. And uh, no answers, right, at this point. no, Nobody really understands what happened, but just a, a terrible, terrible thing to have happen for a campus, and, and as Dan said, yes, for a football team, but they were also, they were students, they were regular people. And Virginia is one of those places, right or wrong, that you can kind of idealize as almost a Shangri-La kind of place. It was it was created with that in mind, kind of, by, by Thomas Jefferson. He was going to build a great American university. You walk around it, it feels special. It looks special. It is, you know, both incredibly Old and tradition steeped, and also very cutting edge as an a- academic institution, but it's like any other place in America where terrible things can happen. We hope and pray they don't, but sometimes they do, and, and hope the, the students can all kind of persevere and get through this. And they, the other thing that I was thinking about, and you know, I, we we don't know for sure like what the team dynamic was in this yet. Maybe we'll figure that out. Maybe we won't. Maybe there wasn't much of a team dynamic involved. But, you know, for those of us that cover this, the the word we hear more than about any uh, in recent years from teams is we're brothers. We have a brotherhood. And you just, uh, it, it is an incredible shock to the system to see somebody who was one part of the brotherhood do this to people who were another part of the brotherhood. And even if that person hadn't been on the team for a long time, again, we don't know the relationships, but uh, you know, that, that again, it can happen anywhere at any time, but to to see it happen within a team structure, given knowing how teams operate and are built and try to have a culture of togetherness is just really stunning and sad.
1: Yeah. I, it is a crazy crime and we'll find out more eventually. Apparently, there is no answer that makes it make sense and there's no answer that brings the kids back. So, and you know, I, I, I was moved by one thing on uh, Monday, you know, social media is amazing. It, it you know, it's obviously could be toxic and terrible, but it also gives voice to all sorts of people that uh, unfortunately I've covered these crimes uh, before Uh was at Virginia tech. I've been on different ones on colleges, high schools, all sorts. And, you know, unless a reporter finds somebody, it's hard for them to amplify their voice. But here was a chance for like, hey, you know what, this kid was in my sociology class, I'm the professor. And he, you know, it just people can just speak up and tell these stories and the, the amazing stories of these guys. And you know, look, college football is a big deal and we're going to get to all the fun and the and the playoff chase and there's all this money and there's there's guys getting Bentleys and all of that, but at the at the heart, most of these kids are are going and trying to get an education as part of the fun of playing college football or they're not going to, these these were not NFL prospects and they probably knew it. And Virginia in particular in particular attracts a kid that's saying, "Hey, I want this world-class academics." Uh, which Virginia, you know, provides. And I want to play ACC football. And the idea that they were spending Sunday on like a, a lengthy academic trip, right? I don't, yeah, in the middle don't know of the, the details of this class in the middle of the season is like, I don't know. It's just like, yeah. God, man, you know, like, it, not, there's no good. I'm not saying there's a good or a bad, but it's just like, you know, this is kind of what the whole point of the operation is, right? And so it's like, okay, you play a football game on Saturday. And uh, there's there's people there, and it's you're playing pit. It's a big, you know, this is high level football. And then on Sunday, you got to hustle, get your whatever, get your treatment in, and then you're gonna go on a on a bus with a whole bunch of other kids to DC to a theater to a play. And like when I was 20, that would have been like mind blowing, just going to that too, right? Yeah. And then you're gonna get back late, and then you're gonna have to get, you know, you got to do all these things, and it's like, uh it's just just an awful situation. We'll find out more. I don't know how those guys get through, uh, this week. Uh, I don't know what goes forward with the, with the Virginia football program. Just very, very difficult times. My main thoughts though, are with those families that gosh, you drop your kid off at, at, uh, at Virginia, he's a football player. And and by all accounts, these kids, other than the you know, they're not going to win the national championship, but they're doing great in every other way. And you those parents just, you think they're, you're proud and they're safe. And, and, and you know, this is what hits you. And in, in in addition, these are not football players, but there's a, you know, I know the university of Idaho is dealing with a, four young people were, were killed in an off-campus residence over the weekend in uh, what apparently was an act of violence that there's a lot of mystery on that. So uh, they're not football players. as a football podcast, but our thoughts are with that. This is this stuff just sucks. Man, it's not
0: well, and you're you uh, crimes. When, you know, when I was walking around campus, like you guys said, it was man, the, you know, the campus here is beautiful. It's got the rolling hills, and you know, it's it's autumn, so the there's the leaves on the ground. And and part of me was like, you know, there you look around and you just kind of observe things and you're like, man, this is like the quintessential college campus and then and you look around at you know the activity around even even yesterday in there were there was normalcy in a way you know you saw kids on scooters you saw kids tossing frisbees you know you saw fraternity sorority people like in groups on campus and and then you you walked down one street and it was just lined it was unpassable the sidewalk was unpassable because of probably 20 TV crews in TV vans, and then there in the distance was the parking garage where it happened. It's like, gosh, you know, it's just, it was right in the middle of camp. This parking garage is across from the Drama Building. It's just a couple hundred yards from Fraternity Row, just right in the middle of everything for for such a horrific incident to happen. And, um, you know, I want to mention kind of the news story that dropped, that we dropped Monday night about Mike Hollins, the running back, he's he's a fourth victim, one of two survivors. The fifth victim is, yeah, as Dan said, not a football player and is in stable condition. I think that fourth, that fifth victim had a gunshot wound to the leg, but Mike had a gunshot wound to the back, and they believe the the bullet came out of his abdomen. He's got all kind of ab, abdominal issues. Talked to the lawyer of his for his mother, and you know he he had surgery, emergency surgery Sunday night. Everything seemed to go well. He'll have another surgery today on Tuesday. They're hoping to take him off the ventilator today. You know, uh, the mom got to see him Monday, got to speak to him. He couldn't speak, really. So he wrote her a note. And of course, the first thing he, the first note he slid her uh, was, how are my three teammates? And, you know, the lawyer who is really close family friends with the Hollinses, who got really choked up talking about the fact that they, because of his condition, they couldn't tell him what happened to the teammates. They were scared to tell him mm. out of fear for his health his own health. So, you know, here we sit. I'm not sure that he knows that his teammates have died. It's just an awful situation. And God, it just you know, you're 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 swept up in a lot of emotions because it just should not happen. And it's just this bizarre thing and, and we got a little bit of of some of the story from the lawyer who talked to the mother and the mother of Mike Collins talked to witnesses who were on the bus, obviously there were a lot of witnesses on the bus, that they pulled into the garage and the suspect asked one of the football players about a video game. And as soon as the player answered in response, he breached into a bag and pulled out a gun and clearly targeted the football players. And the only reason Mike Collins is alive because he was at the front of the bus further away from the suspect um just yeah the shootings occurred
1: in the bus and Mm. yeah the players were two of them two of the two never got out of the bus one was uh critically wounded they they did get him off the bus to try to get him to the hospital but he passed away right then so just uh it was an ambush you know and and we don't know the answers maybe we'll get them maybe we won't, but just absolutely horrific and unexpected. so not good but we'll be on it. Ross is still there and uh, appreciate that first person account. Uh, this is a college football podcast. We do try to have fun and um, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna move on from uh, from that uh, as best we can but we'll we'll get back to it as 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 uh, merits going forward. So this week, is kind of that weird week where a lot of the SEC teams play. Uh, they they save up their dog games. It's always kind of awk. A lot of teams, so it's like it's a weird break week. I don't. College football is odd, right? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> it's just Again, an odd sport. One of these
2: things that like this is one of these things where if you dropped in people who had no idea, they'd be like, "Why?" Why, all of a sudden, is Alabama playing Austin P. now? It's like,
1: hey, the season's ramping up. Yeah, let's just take a break. Let's just – we don't want to be too exciting uh, this week. (laughs) All the action's in the Pac-12, so we'll get to that. Uh, But, yeah, now the one thing we – we're we're running out of weeks, right? We have two more weeks of full full boat. What we have not had this year is that week where everybody loses. We're just like – you know, there hasn't been this widespread thing. Not exactly expecting that this week, but there are a few games. You know, Illinois is visiting Michigan. Does the, <laughs> the Illini have anything less than the tank? Kentucky is hosting Georgia. Kentucky got anything, you know, in a wild season? Maybe. Maryland is hosting Ohio State, six and four. Who knows? So there's a few possibilities. Uh, you also have Baylor, six and four, hosting TCU. A lot could happen. Maybe this is the. This is that week, or maybe we go through this year without it. I don't know, but um, certainly uh, we'll get to that. The The big games are out West, uh, including the UCLA-USC game, which even though is the big rival, gets moved up a week on every other year, so USC can finish with Notre Dame on the traditional after-Thanksgiving rivalry week. Primetime game for uh, USC and UCLA. One of the great uniform games. Yes. Always incredible. They bring out their best uniforms. They both got great iconic uniforms. It's at the Rose Bowl. UCLA blew uh, what could have been a top 10 matchup by uh, losing to Arizona uh, last week. But neither team's got a defense. There is no, we have the letters USC and (laughs) L and A, and there's no D in any of those. (laughs) So that could That's be kind of a fun game. And I wanted to ask this question, talking playoff scenarios, where we did not tape after the, I don't think the rankings are going to have anything interesting. USC finishes with UCLA on the road, Notre Dame, which is now revitalized and could certainly walk in with uh, eight wins, I think. and And then a Pac-12 championship game, which the Utah-Oregon game could be partially deciding. That's also Saturday night. USC doesn't quite control its destiny, but as it is close to anybody is controlling its destiny. By my theory, USC goes, if USC is 12-1, and they're going to get the nod over any other one-loss team other than Georgia. And so if Georgia gets to the SEC title game and loses then to LSU, I would think it's LSU and Georgia getting in, and USC would be out. But other than that, does USC have the inside track? Other than that scenario, would they be above Tennessee at eleven and one? Would they be above the Ohio State Michigan loser? Would they be above the ACC teams? Whatever, it, 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 they'd be above even a twelve and one TCU team. Say if T- however it would go, does USC have that? Other than the Georgia LSU scenario,
2: Pat. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it'd be close, it'd be contentious, it'd be really interesting, but I would like their chances in that scenario. And I did part of the 40-yard dash, looking mm. looking at non-conference scheduling, and then just kind of weighing out and doing some numbers on how many Power 5 teams did you play, and the point of it was Michigan, which dumped a series with UCLA, that if they lose to Ohio State, having dumped... UCLA might be the thing that keeps them out of this. I mean, it makes the Ohio State game must win, I think, because if they're a one-loss team, I think they could be on the wrong side of it. And if you look, I I, I looked at the schedules for like five teams that if they end up with one loss, how would it kind of turn out? And USC, starting with them since you brought them up. And by the way, this is is the kind of stuff the Pac-12 does to itself because – (laughs) <laughs> if if they hadn't screwed up, if Oregon hadn't lost at home and blown that game, and UCLA hadn't lost to Arizona, I was going to be in Eugene for Utah Oregon and Ross was going to be in Los Angeles for USC UCLA. And now neither of us are going to either game. So, there we have it. But anyway, <laughs> USC will have would be have a 10 and 1 record against 11 Power 5 opponents. Okay, 11 out of their 13 games would be against power five teams and their one loss would be by one point on the road to a good Utah team. So if they can run it, if they can beat UCLA, if they can beat Notre Dame and they can beat presumably Oregon or a rematch with Utah, that's a strong finish and it gives them a nice body of work. TCU would also have 11 power five opponents. Clemson would have 11 power five opponents Tennessee and Michigan would only have 9. Michigan has the 9 period and they wouldn't have a they wouldn't have a 10th, they wouldn't have a championship game and they didn't schedule a non-conference game against a power 5 team. Tennessee did schedule one on the road against Pittsburgh and won, but only plays 8 regular season games in the SEC. So, if you just look at it that as far if power 5 is a delineator and it's not necessarily cut and dried, but if it is then USC TCU and Clemson would all have a step ahead in terms of number of opponents played from that level. And if USC, again, to your point, Dan, wins out, I think that uh, they would have the resume and they would have one thing that we sure haven't seen very much, and that's geographic balance, and I think that would be appealing to the committee. Ohio State would have that also because they played If they they go to the championship game.
1: That's right. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But uh, they would have that Ohio State, or yeah, because they would have the Notre Dame game too. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Ross.
0: No. I, yeah. I know. I agree. I, I think when you look at the, the first of all, this could be. I don't know. I'm sure. Maybe it's happened before that we've had what like four. We're gonna have maybe four one loss teams for potentially for the last spot. Was it the year that TCU was like the first year that TCU and them got left first out? We year. Have like. Yeah, we had like three or four one-loss teams that were all kind of jockeying. And TCU Ohio State famously in.
1: was ranked third. TCU was ranked third, right? Defeated Iowa State fifty-five to three and got dropped to sixth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I became suspicious of the committee in the first year. <laughs> I'm not. They did not get it wrong because Ohio State won the title, yeah. and then they yeah. they yeah. credited Ohio State having a third-string quarterback. Beating their Wisconsin, which is not a factor in any of their lists of things to factor. <laughs> they just yeah. made up right. the, the, the the strength of the third string quarterback is not a thing. But yeah, go ahead. So yeah, no. that was that first year. So yeah, that t- was the first that's year. why TCU yeah. is freaking nervous because they've been there. They're like, hey man, yeah. we're three. We won by 40, 52 points. No six.
0: Well, there's no yeah. They they probably know there's no margin of of error for for TCU. Right they they can't they can't lose. And, and, and get in i wouldn't think so they've they've got to. Uh, they can't be one of these one loss teams that gets in so they've got they got to keep on running the table which every week it seems like uh, they uh you know everybody doubts them including me that they're gonna choke up at some point and, and lose and they they keep winning but this this could be yeah this could be uh, a year one of the tougher years like that first year for the committee uh where you've got Three or four teams at one loss that you have to choose, but I, I think USC would would probably be in over, yeah, over all those, uh, all those others. But man, there's going to be a case for the Michigan Ohio State loser for sure. I mean, of all those, that would be the one you would think would stack up there, and uh, and be pretty close. Of course, uh, you know the SEC is is going to have their case too. If if, like you mentioned, Dan, if LSU beats. George in the SEC championship game, you would think it'd be LSU and Georgia would both get in. You know, and if LSU loses to Georgia, then, then, uh, then yeah, you've got a pretty big argument that Tennessee should be in as well. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be. So the thing about
1: USC is we just don't know. If you look at their schedule, it's just the way this is shaken out. They have three tough games to go, but they, they had the easiest road to this I've ever seen. Like they played Rice. Okay, so that's one non-con. That's easy. At Stanford, Stanford's horrible unless they're playing Notre Dame. Fresno State <laughs> is not having a great season. Or at yeah, Oregon Fresno's State, Fresno's
2: coming back, man. Coming back.
1: There are yeah. All right. Mel, that's their second best win. Let me put it that way. At yeah. Oregon State is legit. 17-14. They won that. That's a that's a solid win. Arizona State's a disaster. Washington State, eh. They lose to Utah. Then they get Arizona, Cal. Colorado. So they have kind of, and this is just what the Pac-12 gives them, but they've kind of snaked through. So we're going to find out a lot more about USC. I don't know if the USC and that defense can can win these next three games. Here's my thing with the committee if it comes down to these one, because this could be an epic scream. Fu- I mean, everyone would be screaming. Punish Michigan if that's, uh, at punish who doesn't play a game. Punish the non-conference duck. Michigan banked on the idea that they could just go undefeated, beat and either beat Ohio State, and that would be enough. Forget it. That's what you what I don't want to hear is well, these people might have better wins, but we don't like their defense or we don't like game control. Or I hate right. when they start trying to dissect teams. You don't know. I, I don't care how you win the game. I don't care. If you can win the game, you win the game. And you know, it it doesn't matter what they're off. I hate when they do that stuff. Well, they're ranking in the offense. It's like, eh. Like, do you win the games? Do you schedule hard games? Do you win them? Do you have better quality of victories? Because that's, you win three to two, you win 55, 54, it's a a victory. UCLA, USC could win uh, 17, 14 at Oregon. They could easily beat UCLA 60 to 59 this weekend. And it doesn't matter. They won. So that's my thing is I hate when they become these armchair Quarterback. I mean, that stuff never. It's like sitting around before the Super Bowl for two weeks, and everyone tells you what's going to happen, and none of it happens.
0: Oh, it's it's. all that sir. Some of these advanced stats they use. Not. I know. I've I've went in on this rant before on the pod when I went to the mock CFP that one year and went in thinking this was silly and went out thinking it was more silly because. Uh, you sit and you use all these advanced stats that they use. You sit in their chair. You use the same computers, and it's like you know we're we're starting to talk about game control and average road you know offensive yards and I you know it, it just it's so silly you know I, I there's only should be a, a set numbers you look at and I think one of the big ones is strength of schedule you know who you schedule who you beat and and of course the 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 Eye test, quote unquote, where you watch a team and you do kind of determine how you feel about them compared to other teams that you watch. So there should be just a there's a small group of things that they should look at. And unfortunately, they go I, deep. I don't like even like the crap. eye
1: test at all. I don't care if you like. I don't care. Like you could go Vegas lines if you really want to get into it. But like, <laughs> I, I look. I think a lot of teams could beat TCU. But guess what? Like, there were a lot of teams that could have beaten Cincinnati last year. Guess yeah. what? Yeah. They, you know, certainly TCU. None of them did. All right. Do I think UCLA would last, in, or USC would last in the SEC with that defense? Uh, no, I don't. But doesn't matter. This is who they right. played. Let's do this. So this yeah. will get a lot easier when there's automatic bids and all that. But this could yeah. be one epic fight, and we're talking some big brands fighting this time. Not, hey, we're Boise State to pay attention to us up here it's like with michigan's screaming and tennessee's screaming and and,
2: and usc yep. screaming it's a lot of screaming i'm with you dan where it drives me crazy where this becomes a thing where well we talked to the football people in the room and they told <laughs> us that you know if you look at the power run game here you know that that, that that's just going to be really hard for Team X to match up against, or, you know, the three techniques are a real weakness for them, and so if the other team attacks, don't predict, don't guess what's going to happen based on your football knowledge, look at the resume, look at the performances against the resume, and decide on the body of work who should be in, as opposed to, well, they could attack the outer thirds of the cover two extremely well with the passing game, doesn't matter! That's not the job of the committee, to predict what would happen. The job is to pick who had the best season, who did what they needed to do to get into the top four to get to this point. So that's all I care about. Right. And so I am much more, you more know. Results. Yeah. Power, well, power rings, the whatever the, the case is. The quote, German.
1: football people. Like you might have sit there and said, Well, this is where I, is how I coached football. I played football. You can have the greatest football. You can know all sorts of stuff about football. And you if you can't line up and power on third and two and get, you know, you got to be able to run the ball. You got, I mean, you could go back to some of the greatest football coaches of all time and they would be setting their ways and how they do something. And then, like, all of a sudden, like Art Bryles or, or, or Hal Mummy comes along and is like, well, we're going to throw it every time or we're out of the shotgun all the time. And I mean, the the old purists were like, "Eh, you can't play this way. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, hell you can't. And, you know, like, sure you can. You win the game. Doesn't matter. So whatever. On each one of the selection
0: committees, like uh, Pat was saying, uh, talking about football people, I think there's at least one, right, one former coach that's on the committee. And usually depending on who that coach is, he, he but but most of them from what i i have ascertained from talking to people who are on that committee like you guys probably have too is the coach in the room is pretty vocal because coaches are vocal and they're loud and and they get into all that schematic stuff and i, I think at one you know for a stretch of two or three years I think they're three year cycles or or stints on the committee uh with Barry Alvarez I think was one of them and boy I Alvarez mean he, he le- yeah he led the room on, on that stuff so a lot of these football people do they they are they are loud and influential in that room and I, I wonder sometimes how that Im- impacts things when a lot of that stuff really shouldn't matter
2: yeah Alvarez and Osborne were super influential on the first committee both of whom were in the big 10 and they helped get Ohio State in and again mm. Ohio State turned out to be a good choice but Yeah, Uh, was it you know, what all went into the choice was a little bit weird.
1: Yeah. Alvarez will let you know what he thinks. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) They'll let you know. Searching
2: for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league.
1: All right, uh, speaking of the future of the playoff, we talked the other day about the excitement when the SEC teams have to play in the North and the what a what just consternation will go into uh, this. So uh, credit to Billy Napier of Florida because he's certainly not buying into this, uh, but they play Vanderbilt this weekend at, in Nashville, and the uh, game time temperature is set to be 43 degrees, and he was asked about it.
0: <laughs> playing
1: in the cold. <laughs> Did they ask they about chicken, chicken broth? broth? Yeah. Are they bringing broth? <laughs> they bringing broth to Nashville? Uh, uh, yeah, there was an odd, like honestly, whatever Elon Musk has going on on Twitter, I can hit my algorithm is going to. He'll never figure it out because a passionate debate about whether chicken broth was food or not. <laughs> erupted in my mentions. I nice. don't even know what,
2: <laughs> Nice. like, how are you going to, I don't know,
1: like out of nowhere, right? Has that debate ever occurred before in the history of humankind? <laughs> I don't believe so, but it did for me. So, yeah, but Billy Napier was asked, he says, well, we don't control the weather or whatever the conditions are. We're going to play, you know, whatever. He's like, but this was an actual question. It's 43. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. if, if you think mid-November in Nashville's chilly, let's have a playoff yeah. game in it's mid-December like, in Madison. Like, put a oh, hoodie mini-middle. on and rake the leaves, man. It's a nice yeah. day, you Dan, know. Like, Dan, I'm, yeah, I'm
0: telling good. you, all right, put a hoodie on and rake the leaves, Dan. Dan, uh, I'm telling you, man, these these g- us Gulf Coast people, man, we it's gonna if be it gets drops below below sixty, man, we, we that's no fun. We we bundle up, man going to be
1: great. I cannot wait. I mean, if this was actually, I mean, I, and it, it wasn't an issue, but it, somebody thought it was enough to be like, hey, how are you going to handle that? 43. That, that's amazing. Mid-upper
0: <laughs> mid, <laughs> mid 40s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's
1: tough going up to Nashville, I tell you. Oh. Like, oh, uh, yeah. It's like oh. when they say stuff like, oh, it's always hard to win on the road. Not in, not at Vanderbilt. No, they yeah. lose all the games. No, they don't. Dude, I mean, really Tough environment went on the road. Is it? Is it really? <laughs> so there's that. All right. I wanted to get back to this because we got it mostly right, which is pretty good for us.
0: Uh
1: on on Sunday. Uh this didn't make mathematical sense to me, so I kind of didn't even believe it. There are four contenders in the Big Ten West to back to this <laughs> tire fire. That's how they stay warm. In the Big Ten yeah. West, this is a dumpster. <laughs> they they, they like garbage the can fire. fires. Yes. And yeah. they stand around and say, who the hell's going to win this thing? <laughs> there are four contenders in the Big Ten West. And indeed, I was right, but then I didn't believe myself. None of them control their own destiny, which
2: yeah.
1: seems mathematically improbable, but possible? I hauled yeah. out an abacus and it's true. It's true. Nobody, they're all four and three Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota. No, Nobody controls their own destiny. Somebody
2: <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> so inherently comical and so perfect for that. Cancel division.
0: the championship game. Nobody wins the division title.
2: Yeah. I I don't know. I'm still
1: a little it's it, I, I I don't like to say it because it doesn't make any sense. Like what do you mean, right? <laughs> I thought Just it was Iowa no. on that
0: chartacin. No? <laughs>
1: no. No, Iowa needs help in some way. I think they need Illinois to lose to Michigan. Michigan, which should happen, which should happen. Purdue seems to be in the best spot because they're only playing Northwestern and Indiana, right? Illinois has got to go to Michigan. Then they get Northwestern. Minnesota's got Iowa and Wisconsin. Iowa has Minnesota and then Nebraska on the black Friday game. Also, and not, we're not just determining, uh, amongst these, f- these four teams, they're not just, someone's going to win the big 10 West. Ab- apparently. Well, I don't know if that really will happen. There's also uh, an old oaken and bucket and a giant Paul Bunyan axe oh, yeah. and a pig all yeah, on the pig. line. So, Boy. all sorts of other crap can happen too. Oh, yeah.
2: uh- <laughs> <laughs> what a division. Oh, it's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, think about this. Think how much air we have expended on this podcast alone crushing Iowa's offense for being the worst in the country, and they still might play in the Big Ten Championship. They might win the division. It's incredible. Well, we said if
1: their offense was just bad, they'd be a good team because their special teams and defense are incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And their offense has, I think, gotten too bad. Just not Not historically horrific. (laughs) It was
2: Against Wisconsin.
1: Okay, yeah, you're right. I got all the (laughs) stats
2: on that one, buddy. Well, they beat Purdue. They weren't that bad. Their offense was decent. They had a two-game flurry of life. It was against Purdue and who else? Northwestern, who was, you know, atrocious. But then against Wisconsin, all the stats from the Wisconsin game are just hysterical. I've got them here somewhere. Uh, I mean, they they
1: don't need much to get to win. So I kind of feel like Iowa is going to win this thing and Kirk Ferentz is going to laugh and all that, then, like, Ohio State's going to smoke them. But, like, I don't... (laughs) It's too fun not to look at. Completely (laughs) irrelevant to anything in college
2: football, but it's too fun not to laugh about. I totally agree. All right, so here was Iowa's stats from the Wisconsin game, which they somehow won by two touchdowns. They had a season-low 146 offensive yards. They had a season-low 2.15 yards per play. They had no drives longer than 39 yards, and they had no plays longer than 19 yards. And they won easily. It's just how they do it. Pick six, long punt return. Wisconsin sucks. Our defense is great, and all of a sudden you win. I mean, it's just
1: unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's certainly not a whole lot going on there. Not a whole lot going on there. So, Anyway, we'll see. Uh, Good times ahead. West Virginia fired athletic director Shane Lyons, been there since 2015. Seems like Neil Brown's tenure would, would then be precarious. Am I reading that as T Lee's right? Uh, Brown was uh, awesome at Troy down in Alabama, three 10-win seasons. He's not been able to get it going at, at WVU, which is just a it's just in the wrong league. Um, maybe the Big Twelve is a little gets a little better for them when Cincinnati joins and some other East Coast teams. But is West Virginia going to get a new coach? What are we hearing?
0: Yeah, I, yeah. It doesn't it bode well for uh, for Neil Brown, that the man who hired him, one of the more respected athletic directors in the country, Shane Lyons is, I think, is a West Virginia grad from the state and spent some time in the SEC at Alabama for a while. And is on most of the mo- most significant NCA governance committees. He's on the transformation committee that's kind of coming up with policies to transform the NCA governance. And he's on the board of governors. He's a representative on the board of governors since he is the chair of the Division One Council, which is the Division One Council is like the lead legislative arm group of the of the NCAA. It. It's shocking and, and somewhat unprecedented for somebody of that stature to be let go. I think most ADs would say Shane is a top 20 or 30 athletic director in the country. So the fact that he was pushed out and, you know, I, I've, I think it's some of it's been written, but, you know, I, I think there are people at West Virginia that that certainly want Neil Brown fired. You know, he, he's, he's been uh, just – they've been just okay, you know, there. They, five and seven – in his first year in 2019, six and four, six and seven. And an issue, year, they're four and six. Uh, so at least four losses in three of the four years, at least six losses. The thing is, it happened <laughs> a day after a huge upset of Oklahoma that snapped mm. this long losing streak they had to Oklahoma. But there are people in West Virginia that want Neil Brown gone. And I think that Shane Lyons pushed back on firing Neil Brown. I I think he has pushed back a little bit on it. And I don't know if that was the cause of the issues, but I'm sure uh, that was part
2: of it. Yeah. I I can kind of imagine, you know, some sort of meeting where uh, (laughs) Shane or somebody on his behalf is like, look, man, like I'm one of the most connected people in the NCAA and I have a lot of respect and I know what I'm doing here. And they're like, well, here in West Virginia, we don't care how many committees you're on. We think our football coach sucks and we'd like him fired. And if you're not going to do it, guess what? You're fired too. Uh, That may or may not be the way it went down, but it's not hard to imagine that. And uh, you know, Neil Brown has had long run out of support. And one of the reasons why that boy, they scheduled hard this year. They started with Pitt Lost that game, lost, lost, got upset by Kansas. It's zero and two, and it's like the snowball was just rolling at that point, and that was a difficult, uh, too much to overcome. So by now, the fan base is fed up. The problem, and another reason why, okay, Shane Lyons may be on a bunch of committees and stuff, but he also gave Neil Brown a terrible contract extension, which makes him expensive to fire.
0: Yeah, and that that was one of the biggest sixteen million dollars after this year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We see yeah. it time and time again.
1: right? Just mean, we just keep... gave
2: Eli Drinkwitz a contract extension that yeah, makes well, no sense.
1: What right. was that? Where was Drinkwitz going? Yeah, right. Yeah. We got to right. give him a contract right. extension. So who was taking him? And right, right you can't yeah. replace a guy at that level. I li- Eli's great, great guy, funny guy. But, like, you can get... It's like value over replacement player in baseball, right? Like, right. what's the vorp what's the of Eli Drinkwitz? Like, I don't know, like plus 0.1 wins a year or something like it. He's just your, yeah. he's your, he's your okay coach. Maybe gets going. This is the problem, man, with these. I mean, I'll, I'll say two things about Lions. Like he hired, you just never know. Like you can't, that, right. that was a great hire.
0: Yeah. Neil sense. Brown was Made not this one hit
1: wonder. He's a he was uh uh had this great background, up tempo uh coach, very well educated in college, attending the University of Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> so very smart guy. No, 10 and 3, 11 and 2, 10 and 3, his final three years at Troy. Yeah. So he didn't just have like one season where it all came together, one kid, you know. Sometimes you get that and it's like, oh, now I find out his, his quarterback actually is going to play like eight years in the NFL. A, it, I mean, that that is a program building. And you say, all right, this is our guy. And that's a great hire. And it doesn't work out. And you go, how the hell is it? The AD's fault. What who who exactly were they supposed to hire if that right. isn't it? And so that's the thing. Like, you just don't know. One thing about all these committees these guys sit on, though, I do I do wonder for ads, and I've always wondered about presidents too. I mean, I have a job, and if I spent all, if I was always like mm-hmm. on a committee for yep. something that isn't my employer, what like you mm-hmm. work for West Virginia? Do you need to be there? I don't think the the team wins anymore if Shane Lyons is not like he's not sitting in there designing the defense or, or, or recruiting. But I always wonder about all these guys on all these committees, including the playoff committee, like. Why do I want sure. to lose my AD for two days a week right. to, to go work somewhere else for somebody else like this? And what what advantage do we get out of this? Certainly it can help when like conference realignment's going down and West Virginia got themselves in. But so a uh, weird situation. One quick one more that may now open, may not. I'm just wondering what you guys thought. Jim Leonard got hired at Wisconsin on an interim basis and it was a little bit of prove yourself. They're three and two. And as we mentioned, you know, they still have, uh, I mean, they still got the Minnesota game. They still got at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And then, so mm-hmm. let's say they, they split, let's say they win, What do, you know, like, does he have that job or not? It looked real. I mean, they look at, they, they beat Purdue and Maryland. Those are two good wins in the big 10, but then they lose at Iowa. Like, where is he at in that? Could you see that opening or no?
2: Uh, I think it's much more of a question after this last week than it was before that. If If you beat Iowa and you're four and one as the replacement guy and you've got you know certainly a winnable Nebraska game, possibly winnable Minnesota, I think they want to keep him is my feeling is that they're they're predisposed to wanting to keep him, but lose by two touchdowns to a team that doesn't have a play longer than nineteen yards <laughs> is a pretty big step back. I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> that, you know, that exposed. Wisconsin's own offensive failings under which you know started under Paul Kristen have not been fixed clearly, so I think the jury's very much out. And one thing, Wisconsin loves owning Minnesota. That rivalry is a good little upper Midwest, you know, nice rivalry that's not that nice. and they have really dominated the series. PJ. Fleck has, has managed to turn the tables a little bit, but Wisconsin likes owning that. If you lose that game, I think all bets are off.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I agree. I kind of thought they – I kind of think they want him to succeed and they want to, you know, promote him permanently. And I think early on when they made the hire, the athletic director there at Wisconsin was at least reaching out to, you know, people in the agent world to put together a list and seemed like he was going to do a full search. And then I think the last few weeks that kind of slowed down because, you know – Wisconsin then were winning. And I think they wanted to just promote him and elevate him. And I wonder now if the search will kind of ramp back up. You hate to to think that, you know, you're, it's kind of like, you know, you, you got this short window as an interim coach to, to prove yourself. And it's funny because if they're playing at Nebraska this weekend, that is another interim coach, Mickey Joseph, who I think a lot of people at Nebraska want to get the full time job too, but uh, that, Chip feels like it's it's sailed because he's not going to be able to get them to a bold now after the loss last week but it's like the short window you have to prove yourself as an interim coach and maybe you know unfair or not it, it is it is um you're you're graded all off the games and in the results of the games
1: one more interim trying to get the job and this might be the long shot but man he made a statement Saturday it was Cadillac Williams mm. at Auburn. Now, they beat Texas A&M. Texas A&M's terrible, but so is at Auburn. But it was a great scene there. And afterwards, he gave a, he had a, I think it was Cole Kubik, uh did the interview with him on the field, and he just talked about his love for Auburn and the family and the service. Obviously, he's a great player there. It was a very inspiring speech, and he's just a Cadillac, just a very, I don't know, he's just, he's a very charismatic he has a charismatic way of communicating in a very humble voice, if that makes any sense. And it was really good. And it's, it's almost impossible not to root for the guy. And I don't think Auburn wants to hire cat. I don't think the boosters that run that place want to hire Cadillac. But I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> let's see. They got Western Kentucky this week and then they got Alabama. Like, can he play? Could Could he defy the odds and play in? And uh, if not, someone else might be looking and going, geez, this guy's like, he can tell the connection he's got with these players. And he just loves Auburn. And Auburn's a place that maybe could use that. I don't know. It's
2: fascinating. Yeah. I, I mean, it's an extreme long shot, I think. Now, but Auburn being Auburn, they do some irrational things sometimes. You beat Alabama. Hey, then all of a sudden we're talking about something different, I think. Uh, I I don't have much anticipation that it would happen at all. You know, Cadillac Williams would be a nostalgia hire, which is usually bad, an in-the-family yep. hire, which often is bad. But he was part of the 2014 that went undefeated and never had a chance to play for a, a national championship. He was a great player. He's a very likable person. He and Cole Kublik were, were teammates in 2001, you know, Kubelik was finishing, Cadillac was starting, so they have a connection there, and it was cool to see just the—there's the. the there's two guys that love Auburn right there, but yeah. do not make a hire based on who loves Auburn. I'm sitting here in Louisville watching Kenny Payne coach the University of Louisville in basketball right now. He was a nostalgia hire who loves Louisville. They're 0-2 losing to Bellarmine and Wright State, so be careful what you do with your nostalgia hires.
1: Didn't hmm. get the uh, the third Wagner either.
2: Oh no, recruiting no, not win get by the Kentucky, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. All right, finally, the big the big news of the week is uh Texas A&M. No, they actually won something. Um <laughs> the coach is not Jimbo Fisher.
2: <laughs> That's Although for I, sure. I
1: do believe they have thrown immense amounts of NIL money down on these uh, young scholars, uh student <laughs> athletes if you will. They were named the national champions in the international meat judging competition. Uh, this uh, last week. Congrats to the Aggies. There's a massive upset. Uh, Texas Tech had been the, uh, they're kind of the Alabama of meat judging. <laughs> but AM sprung the a- upset. If you want to know how strong it is down in Texas, they can't play football for crap outside of TCU. But uh, West Texas came in. West Texas AM uh, came in uh, fourth. Uh, you love a, a state with multiple AMs. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's really, that's really it. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a thing. They, uh, they got it done to, uh, to win the, the, the meat judging, uh, competition. Uh, I was held in Nebraska. You want to, you want to win, you want to win there because you want to, you know, get good attention and shore up that. That recruiting that uh, base. recruiting base, yeah. You want to get that mm-hmm. east, you know, Western Nebraska recruiting base. <laughs> what is meat judging? You say what? Yeah. What is meat judging? <laughs> I was about to ask. Uh, I'm reading, I'm reading meatscience.org, which <laughs> here we honestly, go. Yeah, meatscience.org <laughs> could be a uh, not safe for work site, but it is. <laughs> uh, you never know. <laughs> one of these days, this is why we're here to serve the uh, international intercollegiate meat judging program started in 1926 at the livestock international livestock exposition in Chicago and uh, so they have it uh, they they judge all sorts of stuff so uh, meat judging is 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 meat judging like I'm looking at the judging guidelines here at the American Meat Science Association <laughs> like processed meat guidelines sliced bacon. <laughs> <laughs> You have to judge the fat to lean ratio, the lean and fat color, the physical defects, uh, and different stuff. And whoever does it the best wins the wins the event, apparently. So, Pat, what, what is this? You hang around <laughs> yeah, horses. Well,
2: yeah. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> a little different kind of meat there. But I will say, like, the best way to judge it, I would think, would be to eat it, you know? But maybe that's, that's not, not it. what we're, that's not we're it. getting at here. So no, with the help of the uh, the sickos committee, which for everybody, if you're on Twitter, they're a quality follow because there's there's no rabbit hole too small for them to not burrow down into, and this is one of them. They got the like breakdown of the the judging scores here, and Texas A&M powerful performance. Let me tell you, they they won beef grading, uh, defeated Kansas State was the, the the closest pursuer to them there. They were second in beef judging to K-State. K-State won that. And then uh, they did extremely well in the, uh, the lamb and pork area as well. <laughs> Texas A&M first, West Texas A&M second in lamb judging. And Texas A&M beat uh, Illinois and others in pork judging. So, I mean, they, they are a versatile group. Let's say that. They can, they can get it done with beef, with pork, who knows what all else? So uh, a, a a great triumph for Texas A&M, which I know you said Texas Tech is kind of the Alabama of meat judging, Dan, and that may well be true, but there's some tradition at Texas A&M, which has had a meat judging team since 1938 and has won championships going back as far as 1958. There's some pictures of the old fighting Texas Aggie meat judging team from 1938 here. It's an an earnest-looking um, bunch of men in coats and ties, <laughs> which I don't know why we need off that to... them to-,
1: to Junction, Texas to just, like, look at meat all day. <laughs> That's right. 18 That's
2: right. hours a day. In the- <laughs> and out- only the strong survive that.
0: <sighs> Another oh, yeah. hour of bone-in pork chop analysis. A lot of meat sweats <laughs> in the cabins. Uh, you know, they, they get it done with meat and pork and lamb, but they uh, they don't seem to get it done, Pat with five stars i'm sorry no I'm, maybe these are good recruits we don't know
1: like okay so they throw a big huge pork uh a big uh, i don't know a pig down and you have to decide like I'm, I'm looking at the real rules here you have to determine cutability chops with great area of exposed lean little external fat and a small amount of bone are desirable You have to then evaluate the color, and then we have to look for the physical defects. Blood splashing, uncured (laughs) spots, two-toning, and greening should not be present on the exposed cut surface. (laughs) Coarse texture may result in using of meat carcasses from mature animals or inadequate cooking. So this is what I want to know. When you win the Meat Judging National Championship, and you return to campus, and let's just say, uh, we're gonna be very, uh, you know, this is some kind of old school stuff, but let's say you're a guy on the team. Do you get to go out to the bars in College Station and 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 say, I won, would you wear like a, your your medal or whatever you get? And be like, I won the meat judging national championship. Do the, the women of, uh, or the other men, whoever you're preferring to look at you, do you get a little more attention? Does your stature increase or no? What do you think?
2: Well, two things there. First of all, from my, from what I saw, the team picture, it's mostly female. Well, so. there's a lot of females on the team, so it could be them too. Yeah. yeah. Would you rather yeah.
1: date but. a woman that wa- knows how to judge judge her like bone-in pork chop?
2: Yeah. I- <laughs> Not a negative, not a negative. <laughs> I, no, no, I, I think it's a huge positive. And it, having been to College Station, yeah, I would think that would make you an absolute superstar in the quote-unquote bars there, Aggie, Aggieville or Land. or mm. trying to think of the area where the bars are. But uh, Football team yeah. sucks, but look at us. Exactly, right? Who are the full athletic heroes on campus? The Meat Judgers,
1: come on. Way to go, A&M, way to go. All right. That's our that's our podcast. I'm hungry now. <laughs> Go get a bone-in pork chop. Bone-in <laughs> pork chop, going my way. Want to give a shout out to a listener, Nate in Charlotte, and his dad. They listen to every episode and literally like break this thing down. Apparently, like uh,
2: <laughs> passionate
1: fans of the podcast. I, I he, he dared me to
2: to give him a shout out. So Nate and, also, and his dad. That- I'm glad you said that. It reminds me, Ezra, another uh, passionate listener who sent me a very nice email this week. Yeah, we're uh, getting a lot. I'm not turning this into
1: a regular thing. So the rest of you guys, screw off. But, Nate, <laughs> I don't want to be sitting there naming random at Jimmy in Denver. Yeah, we're not doing that. But Nate and the dad, he gets it. It's mainly the dad. I like it. Father, son, fathers and sons bonding over the college football inquirer. What is more wholesome and wonderful than that? God bless America. All right, we'll be back to pick some games later in the week. Continue to subscribe. Tell your dad about us or your son. Whatever. We need listeners. Talk to you
0: later.